Welcome to the Basic Biology Podcast. With me, Charlie Blake. And me, James Conway. Episode 5, let's get this shit on the road. Indeed. Sorry it's been a while. I know there's a few of you that have been asking us when we're going to do the next podcast. But we have been very busy. James has been busy getting a distinction in his Masters. Yeah, boy. Legend. And I've just been busy working, going to festivals, enjoying the British summer. How wonderful it is. Yes. So yeah, Charlie's been up to some stuff as well, whilst I've been busy doing my dissertation for my master's. So I'll let you uh, hear that from him. Yeah, so um, I just started my master's last week in sports science at the University of Exeter. Big up. Yeah, very good. Um, I've also got a new job, which is more aligned with what I'm interested in, which is health and wellness. So that's very good. Um, And just been going to loads of festivals, done Glastonbury with James. That was very right, good. I've done Reading, Latitude, had a good summer really. Yeah, what have you been up to? Well, I think the last uh, couple of weeks in particular, I've been hyping up to get started with my PhD. So uh, back in August, I interviewed for a PhD down in Plymouth and uh, I managed to get it. So what I'll be doing is researching uh, the dopaminergic midbrain system, which for those of you who are not neuroscientists, it's basically it's the centre of the brain which is involved with things like coordination of movement. Uh, and that happens to be the bit of brain which is degenerated in Parkinson's disease, but I'm also looking at uh, dementia with Lewy bodies. So more of that to follow, really. I've not actually started yet, but uh, I literally yesterday moved down here to Plymouth, which is where the podcast will be coming to you mostly from uh, from now onwards, or certainly for the foreseeable future. Um, so yeah, I've got oh, a new good. studio, not just James's bedroom and his mum's house. Yeah, I've got, got a my legit own, studio. My own studio. Designated. Here. Just for this. My beat laboratory, as I like to call it. I, I go from being a, a scientist in a laboratory during the day in a molecular biology laboratory at, and I step in the evening into my beat laboratory. So that's fun. So as I've only just moved, uh, we may have slightly inferior sound for the next couple of episodes, just purely because I don't have any microphone stands yet. And also... So we ch- apologise if the sound isn't as good as it usually is if there's any sort of p's and b's going on uh, we're currently using a sock as charlie's pop filter so that should be uh, an interesting one but we're getting some uh, all the stuff at uh, the weekend so that probably episode i would say seven onwards we should be back to our normal pristine sound that's good to hear i started my master's course last week and was fortunate enough to be lectured by andrew jones who some of you may know from his extensive research to do with with beetroot and sports performance uh, he was also one of the key orchestrators of Nike's Breaking 2 project, which you may remember fell just short of breaking the two-hour marathon time. In fact, if Eliud Kipchoge had run just one second faster for each of his 26 miles, he would have ran the marathon at under two hours. Um, I'm extremely grateful to have been in the same room of such an accomplished sports scientist. Uh, he has also worked with Paula Radcliffe and other elite runners. Um, and if you, like me, were inspired by the first Breaking 2 project, Kipchoge is trying to break the two-hour barrier very soon again in Austria. Uh, so if you love running, if you have some spare time and maybe some unused holiday to use at work, 
can fly out to Austria and support Kipchoge. Will you be there, Charlie? Uh, no, I won't, unfortunately, just because I can't really afford to go out and I don't have the time to get away from uni for that long. Because although the event is over a week, it's only going to be run on one day and that day will be the day where they think the conditions are best. So um, he talks the talk, but he does not walk the walk. Yeah, unfortunately. Uh, the major difference this time is that people will be able to attend the event and cheer on the runners, which um, will probably provide a massive psychological boost. Uh, last time there were supporters but they were only in the final straight whereas they're hoping to like actually fill up the uh, the track with fans and supporters this time um, which will hopefully push them just under the two hour mark we can hope and if you haven't already seen the Breaking 2 documentary I will share a link on our Instagram page which you can follow it's at, at Basic Biology Podcast on Instagram if you don't already follow give us a follow so in the news this week in neuroscience, um, there has recently been on Neuroscience News reported this review on Parkinson's disease. Now it was actually published back in July, but it's only recently been reported to the public as it were. Um, so this one was done in the journal of Parkinson's disease. The title is Parkinson's disease in women and men, what's the difference? So we're looking at gender differences in Parkinson's disease here basically. Now, uh, gender differences, in particularly in neuroscience, are always a bit of a, uh, a sore subject. Some people don't think they exist. Some people do think they exist. So there's a lot of dispute. Um, so I'm just going to report to you what I think. Uh, so there's been inc increasing evidence recently uh, in Parkinson's disease that uh, your biological sex is uh, important in the phenotypical uh, expression of Parkinson's. Um, more men get it than women, so it's about twice as high normally, but women will be more likely to uh, die because their uh, disease progresses faster normally. And also with the treatments that are available, things like levodopa, there are uh, different responses exhibited in men and women uh, for those particular motor defects, and also with the non-motors as well. Um, so basically what this review is saying is that there are a number of differences between men and women in the clinical features of Parkinson's, the risk factors, response to treatments, and the mechanisms underlying the disease pathophysiology, which is you know how it's uh, caused and progresses. Um, so if you look at how these these two sexes differ in Parkinson's disease, uh, that may actually lead to more sort of tailored interventions. Uh, so personal medicine is always something that is talked about quite a lot in neuroscience and generally in medicine. Um, treating the individual not treating everybody the same because often people have very different uh, diseases basically even though they're the same disease the, the causes and the symptoms that they exhibit and have to go through are very different so you have to treat the individual so theoretically here we could treat men and women differently in a way that will benefit them the best um, I also ran a half marathon recently again I managed, yeah again <laughs> I managed to get a PB um, albeit on a flatter course than my previous half marathons um, I'm also competing in the Great West Run in less than three weeks time so for those interested which course did you run? I ran the Great Bristol Run or Great Bristol Half Marathon it's called like the Great Run or something like that. it's run by, run by Simply Health I believe um, so my new PV is 148.09 which is okay not great not, not horrendous it's better um, than I can do yeah probably I mean, James is an obvious athletic specimen. All of you that know him know that, but probably not 
1.4809 sort of time. My brain is my muscle. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I'm hoping to get under 145 in three weeks, or less than three weeks' time. But it's going to be hard because it's hillier and I'm not overly fit. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. So as we're talking about half marathons anyway, you may have heard in the news that the half marathon world record has been broken. It got broken on the 15th of September by Jeffrey Kamura. Sorry if I've said that wrong. Um, at the Copenhagen half marathon. Um, the previous record was 58.18, also held by another Kenyan, uh, Ab- Abraham Kiptu. And now the new time is 58.01. Um, I'm sure it won't be long before we see that be a sub-58 half marathon. Um, bearing in mind, the last record was only a year or so ago. Um, for some reason, before that, it took eight years to break the previous record, but then we've had two records now in the last two years. Like and buses. They never come, and then they both come yeah. at once. And then, as I say, the Copenhagen half marathon isn't, it's fairly flat, but it's not the flattest. Um, if you look through the history records of previous uh, half marathon records, a lot of them are at Lisbon or Milan. Um, so we could see a new record very soon. I assume sub 58 is definitely doable. And then sort of you look towards like sub 55, but I still think that's a few years away yet, if it's even possible. Because, you know we're getting to that stage now where it's going to be very like minimal gains although this is 18 seconds which is quite or 17 seconds which is quite a lot so we'll see yes very exciting times lie ahead yes so those of you who know me know that I am a man who likes cats and uh, there's a study uh, published this week cats are securely bonded to their people too obviously a great use of uh, scientific funding here um, although it's been published in Cell so we'll see um, prefer dogs myself so uh, as, as many of us know uh, cats have a bit of a reputation for being aloof and independent but uh, this study which uh, looks at uh, the way that domestic cats respond to their caregivers uh, actually suggests that there maybe there's a little bit more to it, a bit more depth going on so the, basically the findings have shown somehow that much like children and dogs Pet cats form secure and insecure bonds with their human caretakers. So you may be wondering how this was actually done, um, and I will explain to you. So basically, there's the premise that you, when you look at attachment uh, behaviour, uh, you look at an infant's response to a reunion with their caregiver, normally following a brief absence in a novel environment, so a you know, sort of new environment. Um, and when that caregiver returns, normally the, the infant will uh, quickly return to a sort of relaxed exploration, while insecure individuals engage in excessive clinging or avoidance behaviours. So they're doing the same with cats, basically. So this this has been done previously in primates and dogs, and both of them show this, uh, this uh, attachment behaviour um, when the, uh, the, the caregiver returns. Um, so during this test, an adult cat or kitten spent two minutes in a novel room with their caregiver, followed by two minutes alone. Then they had a two-minute reunion, and the cat's responses to seeing their owners again uh, were classified into attachment styles. So cats are bonding in a way that's surprisingly similar to human infants, uh, where in humans, 65% of those infants are securely attached to their caregiver. Um, and the domestic cats mirrored this very closely. So what we've learned from this is... Well, if, if you can trust the science here, is that maybe maybe cats are a little bit more attached to their people 
than we all um, we thought before. So, for you dog people, you can no longer say the cats don't love you. Uh, so, for all of you David Attenborough fans out there, so basically everyone that's ever lived or is still yep. alive, uh, it will be the job of the RRS Sir David Attenborough to go to document changes that are occurring in the Arctic and Antarctic oceans. You may remember uh, Boating McBoatface, that's what the ship was formerly known before it got vetoed and is now called something probably better. We can can all agree with it, Sir David Attenborough. Uh, So the ship is being inaugurated today. Um, There's some royal people there, Sir Dave's there. All the boys, really. Everyone's there, yeah. it's important because uh, sea levels are rising globally by five millimeters per year, which doesn't sound like a lot, but when you consider some of the countries that are not very high above sea level, like the Maldives and stuff like that, and the Netherlands, and the Netherlands, and East Anglia, and East Anglia, yeah, true. Um, then it's important to consider like why this is happening. Obviously, we kind of know why it's happening, but fortunately, some people aren't taking the necessary steps but anyway um, it's expected by the year 2100 that oceans could be 1.1 meters higher than they are now which would pose a, a massive world change uh, world change world problem and it's not something we want to see happen so no. No. sort it out sir dave but yeah uh, interesting one interesting design feature uh, when they work together with rolls royce um, also enables near silent running so it means they can go really close to sea creatures without disturbing them it's a fun fact there uh, and for all of you Boaty McBoatface fans don't be worried because some of the uh, like almost like drone submarines that go and like check out the water situation and that's a good explanation isn't reconnaissance it? submarines yeah reconnaissance submarines autonomous that's what I'm looking for autonomous underwater vehicles is what they've they've written down um, one of them is named Boaty McBoatface so he lives on we won in the end the dream lives on <laughs> okay I think that's all we've got time for this week we look forward to uh, seeing you again next week for more Basic Biology Podcast I've been James Conway and I've been Charlie Blake goodbye Thank <laughs> you.